You're listening to the Smoke Signals Podcast, hosted by Jake Dungan and other IBI contributors. We're talking tribe. Well, good day, good afternoon, and good evening. Wherever and whenever you happen to be tuning in, we are glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan, Senior Contributor for Indians Baseball Insider, welcoming you to this week's edition of the Smoke Signals Podcast. And boy, I hope everybody's uh, staying cool during this uh, hot weather. I mean, it's only supposed to get worse from here on in over, over the weekend. Uh, but tell you what, going out to the ballpark for an evening game, probably pretty nice right now. But uh, any day games coming up over the next few days? Uh, I don't know, maybe sun. I don't know what the schedule is looking like right now for Sunday. But uh, it's going to be a hot one and not a good day to be at the ballpark. Just uh, stay hydrated is all i got to say. And joining me as always is uh, Justin Lotta, uh, IBI Editor-in-Chief. And, uh, you know, the weather may be hot, but the Indians are pretty hot right now too. Uh, winning three in a row against Detroit. Well, four in a row if you include that final series game in the series against the Twins. And they're up 2 nothing as we record this and going for the four-game sweep of the Tigers. And... What do you know? <laughs> Another arbitrary deadline we set for the Indians not coming through and playing out like we thought we would. So I think we're just going to lay off of those from now on, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think we're just going to see what happens over the next couple, next two weeks here. And I mean, the arbitrary deadline is definitely, what, July 31st now, right? <laughs> there's yeah. No, uh, there's no getting around that. No no specific game on the schedule but that because there's no August trading deadline this year. Um July 31st is the day, 4 o'clock. So we can say that's the last arbitrary day, but that's not arbitrary. And I think between now and then we should definitely avoid setting any sort of game on the schedule because, honestly, their schedule is pretty easy up until then. So, shoot, by the time by the time that Astro series rolls around July 31st, uh, the Indians could be in the lead for the division or game back, or they, you know, I guess they could be 7 or 8 back, but... The way they're playing in their schedule, I, I think they're going to be closer than they are today. But I kind of—I don't think they're going to fall farther back than they already are, to be honest. I don't see it. The way the Twins are playing right now, they're—they uh, got lost two in a row to the Mets. Uh, they got their butts handed to them in one of the games, I think. Uh, and you know, maybe they're it's the start of them fading off a little bit, coming back to earth, because you know they were playing out of their minds what were they like 40 and 18 at one point in the year uh, at the start at the uh, start of june or in mid-june somewhere around there yeah they have they have the best record in baseball i don't know if they still do but um they i think they're i want to say 18 and 18 over the last 36 games yeah i think i saw that too yeah since being 40 and 18 they've been played 500 ball so uh but the indians are really playing better and you know they came into the break hot and other than losing those two against the twins they've come out of the break just as hot and you know they're making the tigers uh their <clears throat> their personal uh whipping whipping boys this year and uh kind of nice to see and i mean i know it's been a few years now since the reign of the tigers and big bad miguel cabrera and the division and how they would take the Indians to task every year. It seemed like uh, Indians have really turned the tables the last few years. But what are they now he- heading into this game? Like twelve and one against against Detroit this year. Eleven and zero. They haven't lost the game yet. Oh wow. Okay. I didn't even didn't even realize that 
they might have a chance of sweeping the season series. But yeah, the Tigers obviously not a great team this year, and the Indians are taking full advantage of that. Then they got the Royals coming up, the Blue Jays, and then the Royals again before they uh, welcome the Astros into town coming into the trade deadline. So who knows where the Indians could be. And I'll have to pull up the Twins' schedule and see who they got in that span. But <clears throat> it's things are really looking up for the Indians. But what does that mean for the trade deadline now? Because we really haven't seen any chatter of any sort. I mean, maybe it'll heat up over the next couple of weeks. But uh, Indians, as we speak, are four games out of the division now. Much better than they were and continuing to move up. Uh, even better than when they were where they were heading into that uh, twin series coming out of the break. So, you know, does this affect the trade deadline? Are the Indians buyers now? Are they still going to trade Trevor Bauer? These are all questions that are going to be very interesting to see if they're answered uh, heading into the deadline. Or do the Indians just stand pat and not do anything and just play out the string with what they have? I I mean, short of trading Bauer, I don't think you're going to see him make any big moves. I think... Where they are right now, Brad Hand's probably not going anywhere unless the Dodgers come. The Dodgers, I think, blew another game today, uh, Thursday, as a reporter. That's, I think they their bullpen let another win go by. So they need bullpen help real bad. So short of the Dodgers coming through and offering a trade better than what the Indians gave up for Andrew Miller in 2016, I don't think they had Brad Hand's going anywhere. And, yeah, and I, I don't think you're going to see them make any major moves short of trading Trevor Bauer. I think that's the only way they really upgrade the roster significantly because they're not going to trade Nolan Jones. They're not going to trade Tristan McKenzie. And for that matter, Tristan McKenzie's trading value is not anywhere near where they'd want to sell him anyway because he hasn't pitched yet this year, and nobody knows when he's going to pitch. So there's no point in trading him. So you're not going to trade your top two prospects. And everybody below those two in the system – you know, you're not going to trade Daniel Johnson, obviously, because he's pretty close to helping you finally. And beyond that, the rest of the system is full of guys that are at, you know, Mahoning Valley or Arizona for the most part. So you're not going to see them move a lot of high-level guys. I think you might see them get maybe a rental bat or an extra bat, um, you know, maybe another Joe Smith-type reliever. That's really all I think they're going to do if they add anything. I don't think they're going to make any major moves unless they trade Trevor Bauer, and I think it's going to be a risky proposition if they try to do that because they're in it right now, and, and I don't know if any team is going to make an offer so big that you can't refuse it. Right, and yeah, I don't see it either. I think the Indians are going to either stand pat now. I mean, I, I know we've been beating the drum that the Indians – should trade Trevor Bauer if they really want to kind of hit the reset button for 2020 and beyond. Try the poll, the, the classic example we always point to is the Tampa Bay Rays. But I don't think they're at that point where they can do it and justify it right now. I mean, yeah, they could probably do it and still reap good benefits of it, but they would do have to deal with the ire of the fans because they're in a good position right now to really contend for the division. And the team's starting to come together. You know, guys like Jose Ramirez are starting to come around. Corey Kluber's uh, throwing bullpen sessions, getting close to healthy. And, you know, the rookies, Oscar Mercado's playing well. Zach Plezak is pitching well. Things are just coming together. And, you know, I think that the Indians would be better suited either to 
like you said, find those rental options if they can find them out there for cheap, or just stand pat and, and see what happens. Because you know they're even if they don't go deep into the playoffs, they already have seen a lot of uh, rookie talent come through and they at least have a better idea of the future in that sense. So, you know, it's not like this, the year would be a waste if they didn't do anything at the deadline. So by the way, I pulled up the twins schedule and while the Indians are playing the Royals, the uh, Blue Jays and the, the Royals again, in that same span, the twins are playing the athletics uh, for three games and then the Yankees uh, for three after that. And so two very good teams right there in that uh, homestand for the Twins before they hit the road. But then they play the White Sox and the Marlins to finish out the month. So they uh, have two very good teams and two pretty mediocre to bad teams uh, coming in after that. So it could go either way, but they their schedule, while the Indians have have it pretty easy here, Late in July, uh, the Twins have it uh, a little bit tougher. But then again, the Indians have that tough August schedule coming up. So that will definitely be interesting to see how it plays out. While I think the Twins schedule is a little bit... They get a little bit easier in the month of August. Other than playing uh, the Brewers and... Yeah, that's pretty much it. The Brewers and... Maybe the Rangers, because they're still in the wild card hunt, as well as the Braves. But other than that, you know, you got the White Sox, the Tigers that they're playing. So it'll flip the script a little bit as far as uh, strength of schedule is concerned. But uh, just to recap the rest of the headlines for this week for the Indians, you know, we already know about the them losing two out of three to the Twins, but then coming out and potentially sweeping Detroit here, depending on how this game plays out. I know that Detroit's now up 3-2. to two. Uh, Corey Kluber threw a first bullpen session since his injury. Uh, no timetable yet for his return. They're still going to gradually work on getting his arm strength up. Uh, he'll be playing catch during side sessions, and then he'll throw his uh, bullpen full bullpen session, I think, again this weekend. And... I think the plan is once they get those days down in between bullpen sessions to like one or two days, that's when they'll start thinking about a rehab assignment. So he's not close to returning yet, but he's definitely uh, making progress. So that's great to see. Then you have Danny Salazar and Dan Otero progressing in their rehab assignments. Dan Otero has a couple more outings slated, which I think one of them is tonight in Akron. While Danny Salazar is expected to play out the next 20-something days, uh, of his 30-day allotment of rehab time, they're gonna. Uh, the Indians uh, seem to allude to the fact that they're not gonna rush him back any sooner than that. Nor should they, given his time that he's missed. And then we had you know Oscar Mercado belting three home runs in two games against Detroit, so he's locked in right now. Um, what do you think about these injury notes, though? Uh, Otero and Salazar progressing back, and then Kluber throwing his first bullpen session. Uh, it seems like all encouraging stuff here. Yeah, I think the one that's really interesting is Salazar because he's been off for two years, and he's pitched, made three starts in a row now, which he hasn't done in, two, in over two years. And his last start in Akron wasn't the best. He was below 90 with the fastball quite a few times. Uh, he topped out at 93, which is not where you do for Danny Salazar. I know in some previous starts he was around 94, 95. So I'm curious to see if 
the time off or, you know, just trying to build back up that strength to pitch once every five days is kind of catching up to him or he's trying to figure that out, you know, and, and see if that's why the velocity was down in his last start. Uh, other than that, things seem to be good. He's making his starts. He's feeling good, supposedly. Uh, I watched part of his start on uh, MILB TV Tuesday. His changeup looked really good. His breaking ball looked really good. So that's all encouraging. Just curious to see if the next start or two he can find his way back to, you know, 95. I mean, he, it's probably unreasonable to expect him to be the guy who's through 95, 97 consistently, given that he's had two shoulder surgeries now and has been gone for two years. Um, but, you know, if he can be, you know, 92, 95, you know, 92, 94 and top out at 95, I think he can still be effective with those two pitches uh, that look really good. And he's going to be back as a starter, like we keep saying. You know, he's got, I think, another two starts before he's going to have to be activated. Maybe three. So I think he's going to need three starts, I should say, actually. But he's got to be on the roster because he has no options. So I'm curious to see how that works itself out because, well, Kluber's not any closer to coming back. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if we're going to see Carrasco at any point this year, um, which that's understandable. So there's a spot for Danny Salazar when he's ready, I'm just curious to see if it ends up being before the trading deadline or after and how that plays into what they do with Trevor Bauer. And I think the best thing you're going to see for Kluber, he probably will be back until the end of August, of, um, maybe mid-August at the earliest. And even then, I don't know what you're going to get from him because he's basically back to spring training as well. You know, he's got a, he couldn't throw during his, uh, not like it was a, a leg injury or anything, he had to just shut it down completely. So he was basically back in the spring training mode, throwing bullpens again and having to build up arm strength. So who knows what he'll be when he comes back as well. So I think the really interesting one to watch is Danny Salazar because he's the closest one to being back at this point. Here's a uh, interesting question for you, put you on the spot a little bit. Who's going to have more of an impact once they're back from injury, Corey Kluber or Danny Salazar? Ooh, that's a really tough question. Wow, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can answer that because it's. God, I have to. I, I can't even say Salazar. It's been two years. I guess I just because of. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna triple my words there too because Kluber was. Kluber was so bad when he was up you know, when he was healthy this year. So it wasn't like he was even pitching well. I'm gonna I'm gonna wuss out and say I don't know because. I don't know. You don't know what kind of Corey Kluber you're getting because he wasn't very good this year, and who knows what you can count on from Danny Salazar because he hasn't pitched in two years. So I'm going to cop out and say I have no idea. Yeah, it's because <laughs> gut instinct says you want to go with Kluber because he's got more of a track record and he's pitched more consistently. That's where but I was going. Yeah, and but at the same Kluber time, you know, we we pretty much know at this point that Corey Kluber is not the Corey Kluber of old anymore, and he's probably starting to hit his decline a little bit, which. You know, it happens to everybody, and it's unfortunate, but that it is what it is. Versus Danny Salazar, who has, obviously, when he's at least, like, 75% uh, of what he was, is still pretty good, uh, you would think, as far as his stuff is concerned, and it could be pretty impactful. But then again, you know, he has two missed years of playing time, and even before he missed all that time, you know, he wasn't the most reliable option uh, prior to his all uh, in the time leading up to his all-star uh, year. I mean, he had, he was pretty good 
that year, but after pretty much since he was an all-star, what was that, 2016, uh, he has not been a reliable pitcher at all. I mean, even when he was on the field, he wasn't great. Uh, so I just don't I, – I think I would still go with Kluber just because of the track record, and I think it outweighs whatever – upside Salazar has with his stuff at this point because to me even though he's pitching and uh throwing rehab assignments which is great I never I didn't even think we we're gonna see him on the mound again for the Indians this year but that's looking more and more like a reality to me he's still a complete wild card I don't know what to expect from him I'm not gonna place any expectations on him because he's missed so much time and he wasn't all that reliable in for the couple years leading up to when he missed all that time so I don't know what to expect from him at this point, so I would go with Kluber. Yeah, that's fair. That's where I was headed, too. I just, you know, considering he wasn't very good when he was healthy this year, it's hard to know what his, what exactly is going to happen when he comes back. And it's not like he had time to come back. It's not like he had time to work on a lot of things and fix what was going wrong. That's the, that's the concern. Right, so uh, as I said... Uh, Terry Francona alluded to the fact that Salazar's going to ride out the rest of those uh, 30 days, which I think he has 20 days left in this rehab time before he has to be activated. So uh, they're going to ride it out with him. As, as you said, he that might account for two or three more rehab starts. So we'll see where he is at that point. But, um, yeah, I'm not... Like I said, I'm not uh, placing a lot of expectations on him. And I would caution fans to... Uh, avoid doing so as well because, you know, you can't look into Salazar, you know, rehabbing and just expect, okay, he's going to come back and be the all-star Salazar or anything close to that. No, this you you have to be looking at Danny Salazar uh, like, let's say let's look at Salazar like Scott Casimir when the Indians picked him up off of, uh, out, pretty much out of nowhere. He was a... Uh, pitching in the independent league and now he was a good pitcher at one time but uh when he was signed by the indians you had no idea what to expect from him obviously it went well for the indians and uh casimir himself he got a few more years in the majors out of it uh but at the same time you know you have to look at that in terms of he's a complete wild card. You don't know what you're going to expect. And anything he had done pre- previously, uh, whether it's all-star, you know, throwing smoke at 97 miles an hour and blowing everybody away, I think you pretty much just have to toss that out, at least temporarily at this point, until you actually see him pitch in Cleveland uh, again, because putting that kind of expectations on him is, one, I think, irresponsible, and two, just unfair to him because he needs to be coming back with a fresh start, and you take what he can get from him at this point. So let's hope that uh, whatever he can give the Indians is going to be positive because the Indians would really benefit from him coming back and being anything close to what he was uh, formerly. So... um, Looking forward to that. We'll see how he progresses over the next 20 days. Uh, Otero coming back and then Kluber. Those are going to be some key pieces coming back for the Indians on the pitching staff as well. Um, How about really quickly Oscar Mercado hitting those three home runs against Detroit. And Again, I know Detroit is not a great team this year. You take with some of those numbers with a grain of salt, but still pretty impressive. And uh, Mercado still batting right around 290 right now on the year, 285 maybe. Uh... 
you know, I mentioned earlier in the year how he might insert himself into the rookie of the year conversation. Uh, he's coming out of the break pretty hot, and I think that while he may not win rookie of the year uh, this year, I think he has a strong chance of finishing in the top three, uh, and it's definitely exciting to see because I think the Indians may have found their center fielder for the next several years. Yeah, I mean, Mercado is, is the guy they're going to ride out the rest of the year, and I know they still have Bradley Zimmer, although he's not playing, so who knows? I guess he's even more unreliable than Danny Salazar at this point, but it's good to see Mercado kind of rebound from a, a rough stretch there. He was starting to hit a wall, and I think you saw some veteran leadership kind of take place there, and, and it's funny because everyone was wondering in spring training, well, where's the veteran leadership going to come from in this team? Because, you know, they signed... Hanley Ramirez and Carlos Gonzalez, hoping that one of those two guys was thick, and you were looking for a, you know, a Mike Napoli or a, a Jason Giambi type presence on this team, and you know they don't need that anymore. A lot of the guys that are on Michael, Michael Brantley as well is, is gone. There's a lot of guys in this team who are you're seeing step up in leadership roles, and just from watching, watching some of the interviews and listening to the comments about how they've been going about trying to help out Mercado navigate his rookie year and, and kind of ride the ups and downs of baseball for the first time at the big league level, you know, hearing Tyler Naquin talk about what he's been saying to Oscar Mercado, you know, about hot and cold and staying ready and, and avoiding the highs and lows, uh, Francisco Lindor as well. It, it's really interesting to see some of these guys become leaders. I mean, you didn't think Tyler Naquin would be – was not a guy I expected coming into the year to be a voice of, of leadership. And you see that comment right there, I think, was definitely one of those for Mercado because Tyron Aquin's no stranger to the ups and downs of, of a rookie year in baseball in general. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if anybody in, on the Indians has had more ups and downs than Tyron Aquin because it seems like, you know, ever since he came up, he had that hot streak in the first half of his rookie year in 2016. He was pretty awful after that. Um, and then it seems like whenever he was playing well, he'd get hurt. And now he's healthy and playing well. So Mercado, and that's, that's a good person to get advice from, even though Naquin's only been in the big leagues for, this is what, his fourth season now? Um, didn't expect that, and, and you know, it's pretty cool to see it. I think you're starting to see some, some leadership emerge on this team from places you didn't expect, and that's a really good thing. It, it is great, and... To see guys like Naquin, obviously we knew Lindor was naturally going to step up into that role. That's just who he is, even though he's not that much more seasoned than Naquin is in the majors. And, right. you know, Kipnis is obviously the elder statesman on the team now. He's been he, he's been helping out on the leadership side of things as well. But it's, it's great to see, and I love seeing this team come together and step up and pull the rookies up a little bit because, you know, they've, the veterans have had not a small task of helping out these rookies. There's a lot of guys that need some help navigating through the season, uh, whether it's uh, Mercado or Plezak or, you know, Bobby Bradley, even though he was just sent back down. And it, there's a lot of guys who could use a helping hand, and uh, I'm glad – to see the leaders, veteran leaders really step up and uh, embrace that. So, uh, by the way, speaking of Tyler Naquin, just a quick aside here. Do we think, do we owe Tyler Naquin an apology? Because here we are in 
almost halfway through July, and he's still batting 290 with a um, with a 108 one rate, weighted runs created plus. Uh, he's got let's see. Yeah, 108 weighted runs created plus. He's got a, a 1.1 F WAR, which is other than his rookie season, the highest of his career. And I mean, I know he still has the high uh, BABIP uh, at 341, but other than that, you know, there's Tyler Naquin still is playing well right now, and he's been playing well pretty much all season. I know he had a little bit of a cold streak there. I think late May, early June, I want to say, but. Uh, for the most part, I think uh, Naquin deserves his due for playing very well so far this year. And, you know, offensively, defensively, he's got positive uh, values. And I think uh, he's he's earned his keep of uh, playing regularly on this, in this lineup every day, at least for this year. Yeah, I don't really owe him an apology. I mean, he's... It kind of reminds me what he did, what he did his rookie year. You know, he just somehow carried a high average on balls and play. I guess he has less power. Might be walking a little bit less this year, but I mean, maybe do him some sort of apology. He's found a useful role. He's not um, not well tonight. He's playing against the lefties. He's played against some lefties. That's only because the Indians have really cut back on their platooning and uh, Lupo's playing in left field tonight while uh, Santana DHs, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess we kind of do. He's, he's been a big part of me. He's had some big hits for them, so that's really, really cool to see to, you know, have him be healthy for an extended amount of time. I know like, coming out of the All-Star break, he was in the lineup the first day, and then he said he tweaked his back or something getting out of his car, and I'm like, that just sounds like Tyler Naquin. That's so weird. <laughs> then, then, you know, weird things like that happen to him. I don't understand why. Uh, but he's, you know, it wasn't to prove not to be serious, and he's had some big hits in the Detroit series. And, uh, you know, as long as he's playing like this, it's kind of hard to not not play him. You know, you got to see what you got of him. And I know there's people who want to see Daniel Johnson be given a shot, which I kind of agree with, too, the way he's playing. And I know the outfield is essentially one area where the Indians could pick up a rental, but... Yeah, I mean, if, if Naquin's playing like this, you know, he's on your team and he's healthy, I guess he's got to be in the lineup, and you have to give him credit for that. Yeah, the, I mean, the BABIP is, is still a little bit high, but it's a lot more sustainable than his rookie year, which was 411. He's at 341 right now, so, you know, it's not totally sustainable, but it's a lot more sustainable than 411. And what I really like is how much he's improved on his strikeout rate. I mean, the walk rate's down from his rookie year, which he had a walk rate of nearly 10%. Uh, it's at 4.5% right now, but his strikeout rate is down from 30% to 22.6%, which is uh, nice to see. Uh, his isolated power is actually up closer to his rookie his rookie year, which was uh, 218. He's at 208 right now. But I really like that he's playing good defensively, too. I think that, yeah, this year is his highest defensive uh, war ranking, uh, he's at 1.7 for on defense. You know, every year, except for last year when he was at 1.5, every year has been in the negative uh, for his defense. So that's nice to see too. So, you know, I'm not saying that he's 
a guy who the Indians should rely on for the next couple of years, or he's a long-term solution in the outfield. But for this year, I I still keep running him out there while he's playing well. I don't see any reason why they shouldn't. Yeah, we'll see what happens going into next year. And if the Indians do get anybody for Bauer, I think they'll get an outfielder if they trade him. So I still think his spot's probably up in the air. But, hey, for what it's worth, Francona likes him. And for better or for worse, we know what that means. So... If he's playing like this and he's on the Indians' forty-man uh, or twenty-five-man roster, Tyler Naquin, I know uh, Francona likes to call him a survivor. He just has survival skills. I've, I've said a little bit worse about him. I think I call him a cockroach. That's not an insult. It's just it, you know, it's kind of the same thing, just maybe a harsher term. But that is what it is, and and there are guys in baseball like that. I think. Overall, I think Naquin is at least proving he's car- he can carve out a major league role. He's probably more of a fourth outfield than an everyday player. Um, you know, he's – I don't really know if he's even a Chisholm at this point because Chisholm had more power when he was healthy. Speaking of guys who keep getting hurt. Um, but, I mean, Chisholm was really at – his, at his peak was a really nice platoon with Brandon Geyer, and I think Naquin is, is similar to that. Um but he's probably best suited as a fourth outfield, but there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I know he was a first-round no, pick, not. and I think, I think I was pretty – I've always been pretty low on Naquin. I think if you had – anybody who watches Indians prospects, you know, over the last decade um, and who's followed me for that decade knows I've always been pretty low on Tyler Naquin from day one, but – just getting, getting, a, getting a. I know for people would say a first round pick, only a fourth alpha. That's not good. Maybe, yeah. but I, I would say it's not that bad. I think if you're getting any kind of positive contribution out of your first round pick, not all your first round picks are going to be stars. I mean, it's, baseball draft is is really difficult, and there's a lot, there's a high bust rate for anybody, not just you know, especially high schoolers and the college guys that, to a certain point too. I mean, I would. I would say that the fact that the Indians are getting any positive production for the last three years out of Tyler Naquin being a first-round pick, that's productive, you know? You, at least you didn't waste a first-round pick on someone who's not doing anything or didn't make it. Yeah, he's you know, somebody... That's, that's the worst outcome. Somebody who flames out in double-A or A-ball or whatever, or somebody who plays a year in the majors and, you know, is playing independent ball or something like that. Naquin's still in the majors, and it's all about perspective. Like, say... He was a guy the Indians had picked up on waivers on a trade market or something, uh, like say what they did with Brandon Geyer, and they anticipated him being just a platoon guy. That would be looked at as a pretty solid pickup, but because he was a former first-round pick, that's where uh, he has more detractors. But um, if you were to look at him as strictly a guy who's a platoon fourth outfield type, he's a pretty solid uh, player in that role. And I think he could be either for the Indians or for somebody else down the road. I think he could carve out a nice uh, big league career for himself doing that. So uh, uh, kudos to him for that. And, you know, water finds its own level, as they say. And uh, maybe that this is where Naquin's finding his level. And if so, you know, it doesn't matter if you're – an all-star. I mean, I guess it does matter for if you, depending on how you want to get paid. But if you want to just carve out a nice career in the majors, uh, if you want to do so as a utility player, fourth outfield type. Uh, you can um, have a nice long career that way. Say like uh, Mike Freeman has, who's <laughs> who. By the way, I want to mention is 
deserves a little bit of appreciation as well for what he's doing with the Indians this year. I'll be honest. I think we both were on the same page. We, I don't think either of us wanted to see Mike Freeman in Cleveland. I think we may have ranted about it on, the, on these airwaves uh, once or twice once he was added to the roster. And uh, But here we are, 38 game, games into his uh tenure with the Indians, and he's batting close to 300 with an OPS over 800, 863 OPS. He's got a 128 weighted runs created plus, and an 0.5 war, war, according to Fangraphs. Three homers, 13 RBIs, and I think that, you know, everybody went crazy on Twitter the other night when he had the uh, drag bunt, uh, the drag squeeze bunt to score a key uh, insurance run. So uh, he's becoming a fan favorite in Cleveland, and you know I'll say I'll gladly eat my words and say Mike Freeman, you were definitely uh, a key contributor for this. Uh, well, not a key contributor, but you're definitely being a positive contributor for this Indians team and proving me wrong. And uh, I couldn't be more glad to be proven wrong uh, by anybody who's going to be a pro- productive member of the team. I'll never, you know, hold a hold on to my pride when it comes to that because I'm always wanting to see somebody come up and produce for the Indians. Uh, so, good on you, Mike Freeman. Great job. I got two jokes for that. One is going to hurt and one is typical Cleveland. Which one do you want first? Oh, surprise me. <laughs> uh, well, this is Cleveland, so Mike Freeman's due for his own t-shirt any day, correct? Oh, correct. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> GVA artwork and designs working on it right now. <laughs> um, also, where was where was Mike Freeman uh, in the tenth inning against the Cubs in 2016 when Michael Martinez? Oh was at yeah! Bat? Oh my God! <laughs> I think somebody I saw somebody post on Twitter. I, I, was it you? Was it you to post this? Was somebody else? Somebody well, said posted on Twitter is like Michael Mike Freeman is everything that Michael Martinez was supposed to be, and I was like, oh, that's so painful, but it's so true. Yep. I didn't say that, but I did see that. That's, yeah, that's that's pretty true. We were talking about that last night, the captain's game. It seems like all the Indians were utility players over the years have been named Mike. Go back to Mike <laughs> Rouse. Mike Avilas. <laughs> yeah, Mike Rouse, Mike Avilas, Mike, Mike Michael Martinez, and now Mike Freeman. I don't know what it is. The Indians like utility guys named Mike, and I don't know if any – I think my, out of all of those, I'm pretty sure Mike Avilas was the best. But, uh, yeah, shout-out to Mike Freeman. He was – Made things happen. I mean, he's even playing good defensively. He made yeah. that nice jump though the other night. I mean, when he's when he's in the lineup, he's he's made things happen. I don't know if it's sustainable and uh, if he's figured something out at age. Is he thirty one? I can't remember if he's thirty one or how old he is. But yeah, thirty one years age, old. Gets, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's figured something out after all those years in the minors. I mean, he's still considered a rookie, so I don't know if he's figured something out. But you know, he's making the most of his opportunity and. I cannot say that um, when he's in the lineup, things have happened. Yeah, oh, just the pain of me thinking about what if Mike Freeman was in the lineup. Maybe he gets a bunt down or something and make make something happen in Game Seven there, and oh, just the, the just the image is still so vivid in my mind of Mike Michael Martinez grounding out to end Game Seven. Yeah, I didn't want to bring it up, but I uh, it was too hard not to. Whew, okay, well, and 
whenever we can fire up that DeLorean time machine and take Mike Freeman back to 2016 and insert him into the lineup, uh, we will do that. But uh, for now, we're just going to enjoy Mike Freeman here in 2019 and what he's doing for the Indians, and hopefully it continues. But uh, speaking of uh, kind of uh, odd stats or, you know, that's talking about the drag squeeze bunt that uh, Mike Freeman executed very well the other night. How about Zach Plezak notching his MLB leading fifth pickoff in nine starts? This is a guy who, you know, I don't recall if he was somebody who was known for his pickoffs in the minor leagues. It's never something that really came across my radar in following him through the minors, but uh, here he is in just nine starts into the majors. He's leading the major leagues in pickoffs. And that includes guys who are, what, at 15-something starts on the year? And that's pretty impressive when you think about it, what he's been able to do to control the run game. I mean, between Roberto Perez behind the plate, and then I know Mike Clevenger's a guy who can control the run game very well, too. Uh, some base runners better beware when they're facing the Indians or trying to take uh, that little extra lead there on, off of first because uh, between the pitchers and uh, Roberto Perez behind the plate, uh, you, there's a pretty good chance you might get thrown out. Yeah, and Franconi predicted and He said he thought he was going to pick somebody off in his next start, and he did. It's just unbelievable. He's got such quick feet. And uh, I know he, he had a shout-out to I think Tony Arnold who helped him out. I forgot what it was, but he – he, they were talking to him about it on, on post gamer the day after on uh, SPO, and uh, he had said Tony Arnold had helped him something or do something with his feet, and his feet are really quick. I mean, if you watch the replays, man, he he gets his feet squared and turned to first base about as quick as anybody, and I wouldn't be surprised if Mike Clevenger had a little something to you know do with it too, because we know Mike Clevenger. I said plenty of pickoffs too, and he's got quick feet. Just another uh, skill. I, I, I'm trying to go out where all, what else I wrote. It was just an evaluation of, of Lisak's athletic ability, and uh, I think he was a, a high school shortstop, and he also played quarterback. So, you know, in general, he's just a very good athlete, and I think that's the thing the Indians have looked at is you take guys that have athletic skills and you can kind of mold them or, or use those skills to benefit their baseball uh, development in different ways. It's easier to work with those guys and get them to pick things up. And that's why the Indians have bet on Zach Plesak and so many other guys uh, in the draft, especially with Plesak having Tommy John. I mean, when you bet on those kind of guys and they pan out for you, you look really good. And I think that's part of the Indians model now. And, I think it's definitely a skill, and it's a nice one to have because I don't think Police Act's going to miss a ton of bats. You know, he's not a, not a you know, doesn't, doesn't have bad stuff. He's not necessarily a strikeout pitcher, but he's got, you know, decent stuff. But that'll certainly help him uh, and keep runners honest. And anything you could do to help Roberto Perez behind the plate, I mean, he's already got a ridiculously good arm and uh, mechanics behind the plate himself. So when you combine those two things, that's one part of the uh, – game the Indians can really dominate is controlling the run game um, for defenses. Yeah, I'll have to go through and look at you know how teams are doing running against the Indians. I'm sure there's a stat I can dig up somewhere on fan graphs or somewhere. But I, I would think that the Indians have to be at least above average as far as controlling the run game is concerned. 
But uh, yeah, great to see. It doesn't Plesa. feel like teams are running that much against them anymore. Like when you, I mean, I pretty much watch almost every game at this point, and I, I don't really. It doesn't really seem like a lot of teams are running on them, and not consistently anyway. You might get. I feel like it's like maybe one every other game. I just don't see Perez throwing down the second that much anymore. Yeah, word must be out, and uh, the teams must be giving the Indians the respect they deserve. And it's long, great. That's very nice to see. Then makes Roberto Perez have to work a lot less behind the plate, but uh, especially now that he's uh, the lone guy with Jan Gomes uh, now out of the picture. But uh, so great to see Plezak uh, really making his mark and uh, some. Expected and unexpected ways. Uh, last thing I want to talk about before we get to uh, previewing next week is uh, Jose Ramirez. Starting to look like Jose Ramirez again. Uh, in 11 games in July, he's batting three forty-eight uh, with an OPS over 1,000. He's got three homers, 10 RBIs in 11 games. A three oh four ISO, so he's absolutely killing the ball right now. 154 weighted runs created plus. You know, smaller sample size in July, but compared to where he was before the All-Star break and the months, the first few months of the year, uh, this is more like what we expect from Jose Ramirez. And, you know, maybe this is just kind of the regression back to uh, the other side of the spectrum. And now he's just going to hit the crap out of everything and, Maybe it's the law of averages coming into play, but right now Jose Ramirez, uh, it, he's very hard to slow down right now. And if the Indians can get some semblance of all-star MVP level Jose Ramirez in the second half, their offense is going to be in pretty good position uh, with you know Santana already being a key contributor in the lineup as well as Lindor uh, playing at Lindor levels. Uh, and then, of course, the contributions from Oscar Mercado, Greg Allen, Tyler Naquin, and others. Uh, Mike Freeman, give him another shout-out. Uh, but to see Jose Ramirez play so well right now is definitely so nice to see, given all the frustration we had to deal with, and I'm sure he had to deal with in the first half. So uh, he's playing at these levels, and I don't know if it's going to continue through the rest of the year, but uh, I'm... You can see that he's getting his confidence back, and he's loving being able to see those balls fall in for hits now, maybe more so than they were in the for- first half. Yeah, I, I want to go back and, and look this up and see what the Indians' record is since Jose turned it around, because I have to think about where where he picked things up. I know it's been a few weeks now where he's finally put together a stretch. I think it's really been back a month now, but I'd love to take a look at the Indians' record and see what their record is since he started to kind of kick things in gear because it wouldn't shock me if the Indians surge here back towards the top of the standings coincided with his resurgence as well because that's how much that's how important his bat is to them and I, I still contend that if, uh, if if the Indians had MVP candidate Jose Ramirez in the lineup from April until now the Indians would be in first place. I, that's how. That's really how good Jose Ramirez is. I think people forget that, you know, I, they're blinded by this the stretch that it's been. And granted, he's been terrible since last last August. He's been in a funk and it hasn't been good, and he hadn't got his way out of it. But people forgot, man. Jose Ramirez was. People were talking about him as the best player in baseball, not named Mike Trout. Recently, his last season in the first half, you know, and 
if you have that guy in your lineup, that makes a big, big difference versus a hitter who was basically unplayable for most of the year, but the Indians had to play him because who the heck else was going to play third base, and what good was it going to do for Jose to go to AAA? And you had to stick with him just in case he was close to breaking out. I know it took a while, but, yeah, people forget, you know, Jose Ramirez. I, I, I firmly believe that if, if Jose was back to his MVP candidate level from April until now, they'd be in first place right now. Yeah, and I think it's time to consider moving him back up in the lineup, too, now that he's playing well. I agree. <clears throat> Maybe have... Ideally, I would like a lineup. I would like to see Lindor move move to the number two spot because I think that would suit him better. Maybe move Mercado to lead off. Uh, have Mercado lead off, Lindor second, Jose third, Santana fourth. Uh, maybe Naquin or Perez fifth, or flip flop the two, and then you can then you can have uh, Kipnis and uh, Luplo and whoever else you have in there. Uh, rounding out the lineup, but if that Jose is at that level and uh, everybody else has continues to play as well as they have, that's a pretty pretty freaking good lineup there, especially at the top of the order. And the Indians are in a good position once they have everything start to mesh. And who knows, you know, maybe they might have uh, once guys start to get healthy, maybe they might have a team that could make some noise in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I I still want to go back and look here, but I mean, they still need another bat. There's there's no doubt they need another bat, but. When you've got Ramirez playing like he should, and you've got Santana having his career year, and Lindor is doing pretty well. I know Lindor's kind of hit a, a skid here as of recently. Um, Mercado's been been solid, and you're getting contributions from Perez and Aikman at the bottom of the lineup, and even even Jake Bowers has been, you know, decent and 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 stints here. But yeah, I mean that that lineup transforms with Jose Ramirez being there, and if they could find a way to add even you know any sort of bat coming up here soon, that would be huge. You know, I'm thinking like you know 100 pens from Texas. They seem like they really want to sell, so it'd be cool to see them pick up someone like that. He's having a great year. Somebody so, they can bat like you fifth. Somebody, somebody they can bat after Santana, I think, would be a nice fit for the lineup. Uh, in Especially right here. Yeah. So Jose Ramirez was down to 198, and on June, on June 9th, um, I'm sorry, June 8th, he had a two-hit night the next game. So since June 8th, Jose Ramirez has raised his average from uh, 198 all the way to two. 32. That's pretty hard to do. Like you're talking, you're talking over 30 points of batting average in basically a month if you consider the three days off the Indians had for the All Star break. You're talking about a month. So that's that's really hard to do. That's that's really impressive. In that time, let's see, he's got. So we'll start June 9th. They had a multi-hit game, so he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Ten multi-hit games in June eight. That's yeah. That's definitely the signs of a guy who's uh, figuring it out again and starting to feel like his old self. So uh, I'm 
see what the Indians' record is since June 8th. I'll, you, you go ahead and talk. I'll add this up. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, so while, while you're adding that up, uh, t- yeah, 10 hit multi-hit games since June 8th. And, yeah, I think it goes back to that point. I mean, I was looking at his uh, month-by-month splits. His June splits were not that great overall, but uh, I think, you know, he was struggling so much at the early part of the month that probably brought down the rest of his numbers. But, uh yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear what the Indians' record is because I think that you're absolutely right, especially now with without guys like uh, Michael Brantley and Edwin Encarnacion in the lineup who, you know, Brantley we know is a solid force in the lineup and so consistent, really misses presence in the lineup. And Encarnacion, who I know is starting to decline a little bit in his overall value, he's still hitting a lot of home runs, but that's just who he is. He's got that kind of power, but he's not the same impactful hitter that he was, say, two, three, four years ago. Um, but he still, you miss his presence in the lineup, too. Um, so, for the Indians to not have Jose Ramirez at his top game, we I mean, we clearly saw the effects that it had on the team overall and the lineup overall. You know, even when Lindor and Santana were hitting so well, that uh, slump that Ramirez was in, his void was still felt in the lineup, and I think that him hitting the ball better and really starting to come around offensively more to the levels that we've been used to is something that has been a game-changer for the Indians, and to see it all start to come together and, yeah, I would like to see them add another bat either in the outfield or probably got a DH now that Bobby Bradley's been sent back down to Columbus. I would think that that having a DH and Hunter Pence would really fit into that role uh, if that's a direction the Indians wanted to go. But uh, we'll see. Texas, I don't know. They're in a weird spot. They're still kind of in contention for the wild card spot, but they're clearly looking to sell. So I don't know what they'd be asking for for Hunter Pence. I would think that they're looking to sell high on him. Like most teams that pick up these kind of players who – are looking to rebound in their careers and get back on top of their game. But uh, that's something we'll have to see how that plays out the next couple weeks. But uh, that's interesting you brought him up, and I'll have to think about that more. Uh, you have the uh, Indians record in that, in that span? I do. They're 21-9 and nine, uh, going back to the last 30 games. Uh, and that was Jose's playing 28 of them. And that's 121 plate appearances. He's hitting 300. It's a 124 WRC plus, uh, 878 OPS. He's got as many strikes as uh, strikeouts as walks, which is 10 and 10. Also five steals. So. Uh, so yeah, he's he's Jose Ramirez <laughs> essentially. Yeah, he's essentially Jose Ramirez again, and the Indians have been very good since then. So gee, what a shock. <laughs> exactly. So. Uh, well, yeah, great to see him back. Great to see the lineup start to come together. Great to see guys starting to get healthy. And you know, the Indians are climbing back into the division race. Um, overall, I would say that uh, as far as how things have gone this year, the Indians are probably in the best position that they've been all year and the best position we could ask for, uh, all things considered. Uh, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, considering the fact that like, like we've been talking about, Corey Cooper hasn't thrown a pitch since June, um, early June at that. Or was it May? Gosh, I remember. Was he pitching after Memorial Day? No, I, I think remember. it was May. Yeah, May He was when he got injured, I believe. So, yeah, he hasn't pitched since May. Corey, or Carlos Carrasco hasn't pitched since June. He, and who knows if he's going to come back, you know, best wishes to him. And baseball should not be his first concern anyway. 
um, and not having Jose Ramirez even close to what he could be uh, early in the year and, and you know missing Lindor for two weeks and not having any competent outfielders basically until Oscar Mercado arrived. I mean, until Mercado arrived, who was their best outfielder? I mean, Jordan, Jordan Luplo? Luplo? Yeah, back. I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> when Luplo came back from being demoted early in the season, he's been their best outfielder until Mercado arrived. So, yeah, the fact that they're four out is just absolutely amazing. And honestly, they're not playing any different than they were a year ago. It's just the Twins are better. Give them credit. The Twins are a good team. I mean, they they their payroll is still less than the Indians. That's funny. <laughs> the Indians are talking to the Twins out and spent a ton of money. I mean, their payroll is even less than it was a year ago because they knocked Joe Maurer off the books. So it's not like they yeah. went out and they didn't even replace all that money. It's not like they went out and spent to that level again. Their payroll's down from last year and it's still below the Indians. But they spent wisely. They hired a bunch of new coaches and a new bunch of new front office guys, and they got a new manager. So kudos to them. But the Indians are, are just as good as they were a year ago, which is amazing because you don't have Michael Brantley. Um, the bullpen, I guess, though, is better by default because Cody Allen and Andrew Miller were shells of themselves a year ago. The bullpen was just an absolute outright disaster last year. So the, the fact that they're still as good as they were a year ago shows that you know, hey, we might not have Michael Brantley, we might not have Edwin Encarnacion, we may not have, a, you know, a better outfield than the rookie in center field, but they've managed to put this together with a, a bullpen that nobody expected to be better than average, and it's been pretty good. And they've had to dip into their pitching depth. I mean, we talked about it. We've talked about it multiple times this year. We, I, I for sure knew that I, not to you know, to my own horn, but I felt like Shane Bieber could make his debut last year. I sure as hell didn't see him winning the All-Star Game MVP in his career, let alone his second season. Um, but I don't know if anybody thought Zach Plesak would come up and contribute. I sure didn't see Aaron Savali making a spot start. Nobody saw Jeffrey Rodriguez being a solid contributor the way he was before he got hurt. So it's just amazing how much. I mean, look, they, I mean, Cody Anderson's out for the year again. People were hoping Cody Anderson isn't the sixth starter because Cody, uh, Adam Plunko, who's been up and down this year um, was hurt early in the season. And it's just amazing to see the cast of characters who have emerged this year to help the team out that nobody thought was going to be here. Yeah, how about Cody Anderson? That's something I forgot to add to the notes here. Yeah, Anderson, what exactly is the injury with him? He's down on the 60-day DL with uh, some another arm ailment or shoulder ailment. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was like a flexor tendon that was not healed. It was bothering him. It's another it's another arm surgery, which is a really big bummer for him. Man, I feel so bad for him. He he's so tired of being in Arizona. He's been in Arizona more than Danny Salazar, and I know he just wants to come back and contribute. And he's a really good dude, and he has worked his rear end off to try to come back and help this team, and it just hasn't happened for him. So I hope next year he can factor in again. But yeah, it's another guy that he was excited to be back, and I think the Indians were glad to see him be an option and. No, unfortunately, he's not. But could I mean? And I think I know this is again. This isn't the Farm Report podcast, but I think there's a lot of names that you're going to see in the next year or two. They're going to come up, and you're going to be like, "Wow, where did this guy come from?" You know, like like Adam Scott and Cody Morris and Eli Morgan, Jared like, wow, Robinson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're going to be like, "Where did these guys come from?" It's like that's that's what the Indians are doing these days. They're they're turning out pitching that can, you know, be threes and fours that can. They can plug in when this stuff happens. That's unbelievable. 
Yeah, so... Uh, they got the I mean, pitching thing down. They just got to get the hitting thing down one of these days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully Nolan Jones and Tyler Freeman can help reverse that trend a little bit. But uh, Yeah, I would think that. I saw this interesting note from Fangraphs the other day that um, I think out of the 10 lowest swinging strike rates in minor league baseball, I think like six or something of them were Indians prospects, and one of them was Nolan Jones and the other was Tyler Freeman. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, you probably see Oscar Gonzalez or uh, Ernie Clement on that list, too, because they're low strike-swinging guys, too. So, uh, but yeah, we won't get too far down the prospect road. If you want to listen to more uh, prospect talk, you can check out the Farm Report podcast with uh, myself and uh, Corey Christen. We talked a lot about the... uh, Talk a lot about the uh, mid-season evaluations. Uh, we kind of gave our overall assessments of how, where the Indians' prospects are, and the farm system is uh, kind of well, more than halfway through the year. But we thought it was a good time to revisit that. So check that out for this week, and check that out each week. Uh, talking prospects, it's uh, fun stuff. So um, uh, looking ahead to next week's games for the Indians, though, um, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, after this final game against Detroit, uh, they wrap up the homestand over the weekend against Kansas City uh, in a very what should be a very hot one uh, up in Cleveland. It's a hot weekend, but uh, you know the Indians have been playing pretty well against the Royals lately, and then they got uh, Toronto in Toronto next week. Uh, Blue Jays have some young, exciting talent such as Vlad Guerrero Jr., but you know obviously they're not anywhere near contention. And then Kansas City, uh, they head out west again to, uh, to play the Royals. Uh, any thoughts on this upcoming stretch? And, uh, you know, this might be the last uh, bit of, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say the last time the Indians get to relax because every game is important and can go either way uh, in the game of baseball. But, uh Coming into this stretch in August, when you know already they're going to be starting a series with against the Astros. They got teams like the Red Sox uh, coming up in August, and I think is, do they have the Yankees too? No, yeah, they have the Red Sox, the Yankees, they have the Rays, the Angels. So it's going to be a tough stretch in August. But uh, for now, though, they have still a pretty easy spot in their schedule um, heading into next week. So uh, any thoughts on that, Justin? No, they just got to continue to take care of business uh, until the trading deadline, you know. And if they, I know the Indians, the guys in the clubhouse have said or made it known that they want to compete with this roster. They believe they have a a chance to run down the Twins with the guys in this team right now. And if they want to avoid trading Bauer, I think the only way to do it is to keep winning. And if they take care of business against KC and Toronto and KC before that Houston series, I think they'll have a good chance of hanging on to them, and they might get a few small pieces that they can plug in to help them out. I don't know how big it'll be, but they, uh, they'll they be given the chance to at least go uh, go forward with the guys they have here, which is what they wanted. Yep, so uh, we'll be keeping our eyes and ears open on the trade deadline coming up here the next couple weeks. Uh, with no August waiver trades coming up, I would think these next couple weeks are going to be the rumors are going to be flying because teams have to make their moves now if they want to uh, contend for the postseason. And 
you know, make hay while the sun shines as far as uh, replenishing their farm system or selling their keep assets, whatever the case may be. It's all got to happen these next couple of weeks. So uh, get ready to keep your eyes glued to Twitter and the rumor mill and see what the Indians have up their sleeve. Uh, anything you want to plug think before rumors we... start flying. The rumors haven't been flying yet. I was expecting, you know, the Indians dealt for Brad Hand the day after the All-Star game last year. I thought for sure the rumors were going to heat up by then, but there's yeah, I know. pretty it's... much the weirdest thing I think I've seen so far is that um, there's a possibility that well, we, the Reds can make Luis Castillo available. I saw that today from John Morosi, but it just it just seems like all the national guys have turned into, oh, well, this guy could be traded, even though we have no sources, but he could be. Yeah, like, exactly. Or they're, they're just floating ideas. I don't know if it's just teams are are just being more close to the best and not you know, letting things leak, or they don't know if they're buyers or sellers because they're stuck a wild card now and there's so many close division races. I mean, every rate, every division race in the AL is wide open, which we didn't expect coming into the season. We assumed that the Indians, the Astros, and one of the Yankees and Red Sox were going to run away with the division, and then the, the Rays and somebody else would be the two wild card teams, but Every every playoff spot in the AL is wide open as of right now, so there's not a lot of sellers. There's a lot of teams that are on the fringes of buying, and then, and between that and all these reporters, like I was thinking about it today. Last year, when Jordan Bastion was the Indians beat reporter, I had my phone set up to get all of his tweets because he really only tweeted important things. Um, so anytime he tweeted, I had a, had a notification sent to my phone. And over over the winter meetings, I think I had Ken Rosenthal or John Morosi set up, and now I'm like, is there anybody worth getting notifications sent to my phone from Twitter now? Because I feel like all it is now is just speculation. There's no real rumors out there. It's just, you know, hey, so-and-so could be traded. It's just, the rumors have not heated up. It's very bizarre. Yeah, it's very and, boring. Uh, unlike the NBA, unlike the NBA mid-summer frenzy, baseball's transaction wire is just dead. It's very annoying. I think in the two wild card era, I think that it's really slowed down, slowed things down as far as the uh, July thirty first trade deadline. And honestly, all honestly, we've had more action on the uh, waiver trade deadline. I would say the last few years than the non waiver trade deadline. So I wonder if there's any talks in the works of now that they've consolidated both trade deadlines into one, if they would move it potentially into mid August or maybe even the end of August, like the waiver trade deadline deadline was before, I would think that moving it later has to be an option now that they've consolidated it because, you know, with everybody still technically technically being in contention, I mean, I know Rob Manfred himself said he, how much he loves the fa idea that all these teams are still in contention for a postseason spot, uh, but then again, it really takes the wind out of the sails of the trade dead line season, at least for the August 31st trade deadline, so I think that's something that has to be in the works. Yeah, I would like to see it get pushed back to like August fifteenth or something because that's just. It, it, I'm sorry, the NBA like it, the NBA is almost more interesting now for what happens from June and July versus the regular season, or or I, I guess I should say April through July because the playoffs are fun for the now they should be fun because Golden State Warriors aren't uh, a one man wrecking crew anymore. Not to you know get too far down the basketball rabbit hole, but. 
basketball has got that window from April to July where everybody's paying attention. You know, the night of free agency starts, people are getting, you know, tweet woes bombs and, and baseball, it's just dead. There's zero traction on, on player trades and free agency. It's just, that's the most, in, I think that's like the most interesting part of basketball is, is the transactions now, what's going to happen. And baseball doesn't have that. And I feel like they really need it again to, to spark some interest away from the game. And at least when, when they're not, when games aren't being played. So I think if you move the trading deadline back to August 15th and you, you know, instead of making the weird rules that they had in the past where, oh, well, this guy has to go through waivers to be traded now, and only so many, and you got all these teams who wink, wink, aren't cleaning them because they're out of it and, and they're trying to figure out if they're contenders or not. You know, the Indians kind of got Josh Donaldson last year on kind of a shady deal because uh, he was actually hurt. So I think when you, if you clean that up and just get one trading deadline, you might see some interest return to those transactions. I hope they do because I think it makes baseball fun. It makes every sport fun. Well, this is, I didn't mean to go too far down uh, that road, but uh, I did think this trade deadline was coming up and how everything was so quiet on the rumor front. Uh, I think it's something that may be considered in the future, but uh, we shall see. But we'll see what happens these next couple of weeks and uh, – whether or not the Indians actually make a move. Um, but in the meantime, though, Justin, uh, we've covered a lot of ground today. It's time to uh, uh, wrap things up. Uh, anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, let's see. I've got the Mahoning Valley Scrappers Notebook tomorrow. And then uh, if you didn't catch it this past week, I did an update to the top 50 prospects for preseason. Uh, those are mine. Those were not our combined ones. Um, for the official IBI list, those are just my list. So that's out there, free for everybody to read. It's not behind the paywall or anything. So my top 50 is out there from last week. You can find that. And then someday, of course, we'll have, uh, or I'm sorry, Monday, we'll have all the three up, three down, and I'll have some notes on uh, Jordan Stevens, uh, Jose Fermin, Bo Naylor, and Luis Oviedo, and uh, I'll be at the captain's game tomorrow. I'll be at the captain's game twice in one week. It's been a, it's a first for me in quite a while. I haven't been there in quite a bit, and uh, they've been on the road when I've been able to go, so it's been kind of a struggle, but um, we'll have that. Well, sounds good. Um, I think my only plug this week, other than the Farm Report podcast, is to check out Diamonds in the Rough. I know you and I are finally kick-started that. Uh, we had Ruben Cardenas in the first week, and then Jared Robinson last week. I don't know who's on tap for this week. I think you got the uh, you got the honors this week. Yeah. Uh, who we have on tap? Well, I go look it up. I, you're right. I am on that duty this week. Thanks for reminding me. Got lots of writing to do the next couple of days, starting tonight and tomorrow. Um. I can go back and find the top prospects list. I think I think these names are kind of interesting. I think uh, this week's Cody Morris. Just mentioned him a few minutes ago. So this week is Cody Morris, oh, who so unfortunately is currently hurt, but uh, still an interesting name. You should know. Yep, I wrote about him in fourth us last week. Uh, definitely, even though he's hurt right now, definitely worth talking about. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, the Diamonds in the Rough, we get pretty in-depth. Uh, similarly to what we do with the uh, top prospect capsules uh, on in the countdown before the season. So check that out if you want to get some in-depth knowledge and insight on these guys who are flying under the radar. And Cody Morris is flying under the radar for now, but he may not be for long. So uh uh, stay tuned for the Diamonds in the Rough over the weekend. Uh, it's always fun. Fun to write and fun to read. So uh, 
check that out. Um, uh, other than that, be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jake D Baseball. Justin's at JL underscore Baseball. Uh, you can follow the uh, podcast account at uh, Smoke Signals IBI. Follow the site account at Official underscore IBI. All the links, all the podcast notes, all the breaking news, everything you can find right there. Tweet at us as well if you want to talk Indians baseball or prospects. Uh, always willing to uh, answer some questions or chat minor leagues. It's uh, always fun. Uh, but uh, great show tonight, Justin. Uh, went a little longer than expected, but uh, hey, that's what happens when the Indians are playing well. There's a lot of good things to talk about. Definitely a uh, different tune than where we were doing with the first few podcasts of the year's Actually, the first couple of months of podcasts, uh, a lot of negativity, it seemed like. Uh, but finally, glad to see the Indians playing well and glad to talk some uh, positive and optimistic uh, topics. Uh, so, uh, But until next week, though, for Justin Lada and the Smoke Signals podcast, I'm Jake Dungan, and we say to you, have a good one. For questions and comments, you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at SmokeSignalsIBI, where you can find links to all our shows, as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening.